my boss is in great yaar i so hate my boss i really wish i had a different boss uh, you know indian bosses are so less efficient i tell you now these are often expressions you hear from employees across organizations uh, we never really satisfied with our boss right and there's always some or the other shortcoming that we uh, have for our bosses but have we ever looked at the picture from their shoes do we ever understand their perspective we have steve korea with us who has authored the book the indian boss at work thinking global acting indian to explore the indian leaders managers and the team leads at length hello and welcome to secrets of storytellers i am shubham agarwal this is a podcast where i interview authors and writers from the world of business literature and many more don't miss out the last section where we get to know secrets from the storyteller themselves Hi Steve, uh, welcome to Secrets of Storytellers. How are you? Shubham, I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast today. Pleasure. Well, before we begin, let me let me tell everyone that uh, Steve and I share the same alma mater, XLRI. But interestingly, he went to Excel before I was even born. Uh, so Steve, uh, what is the most cherished memory from Excel college days? And I want to really see if we have something in common or not. <laughs> I think it's for me the Bodhi tree. All right. Where we all got enlightened in our paths. <laughs> yeah. In God we trust, in Bodhi we must. Was was this the uh, slogan back then as well? Yes, it was very much. It was. <laughs> great, great, great. So, Steve, uh, let's begin uh, with your reflections on you know what I said in the in the beginning about the Indian boss, how or you know how we hate our bosses. What do you have to say about it? So um you know Shubham you talked about indian bosses i think uh, university bosses are a source of uh, hate and exasperation irrespective of being indian or otherwise i think what would be more truthfully said that there are effective and there are not so effective bosses right right um in fact uh, there was an hbr research which mm-hmm. said that 58% of the respondents they admitted to trusting strangers more than their own boss wow for that matter 64% would rather trust a robo oh my god okay yeah in fact uh, an mit study in 2020 mm-hmm. said that just 12% of global leaders actually have the mindset to lead forward in this new digital economy that we all know we're going to go to in this yeah. post in this covid world right and uh, another study just 70% rated thought leadership as very good or excellent for their organization so you can see that um, these are troubling numbers it are the very troubling numbers in yeah. terms of how bosses are and um, coming back to india some indian leaders have earned a fierce reputation right some of them work for the for, for the snp 500 uh, and are well known and reputed yeah uh, there are many indian leaders in india that are doing a fabulous job but i dare say most of uh, indian leaders do not end up uh, being able to reconcile their complete effectiveness and end up becoming trishankus mm-hmm. and that's really brings me uh, a segue into my book which is right. which is really about what leads to effectiveness in the workplace and hopefully uh, shubham yeah we will explore that conversation here definitely so steve uh, moving on what we know about leadership now there are some core principles right we read about them almost everywhere but how does desh kalan patra have relevance to this which uh, i think you've brought it out in the book as well at quite in depth but if you were to share some you know insights into it 
Shubham, you use the word core principles, yeah. which itself is fundamentally flawed as a concept. Let me explain why. Okay. Most of the literature on leadership that you are studying in Excel and I have studied yeah. has come mainly from post-Second World War, largely from North America and Europe, right. written by males and coming out of academia. I get it. And actually with what I call weird participants, weird being Western, educated, industrialized, rich, democratic. But Shubham, is the rest of the world weird? And what about feminine principles Yeah, uh, that must also be included in the workplace? Right. So one of the things that, as you said, code, they come under the, the word of universal theories. And by creating a universal theory, mm -hmm. the culture, which is specific to a country, is completely taken out of the equation. Of course, more recently, uh, Hosted, von Strompenner, the Globe studies have brought back that equation and many of the other studies more recently are recognizing, yeah. you know, this whole issue of that culture is the context for action. Hmm. Okay. So I'd, I'd, I'd like you to just think about the fact that as human beings, all of us face common imperatives. Right. But how, Shubham, we respond to these common imperatives are actually cultural. Right, right. So to now come back to your question, when I refer to the Kal, which is the existential time, I'm referring to the social character, the dominant ideas yeah. of our times, both, both traditional and modern. Right. When I refer to Desh, I talk about the regional characteristics of our country. And Patra, which is the force, the the, the temperaments of the uh, person in, in the country. Mm -hmm. And all of these forces influence, in brackets, not cause, the context for action and forms the basis of how leaders think, feel, and act. Okay. So in India, Shubham, inside you, for instance, yeah. there are two concurrent processes happening in juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. For one, either consciously or unconsciously, the fact that you come from a 7,000-year-old living civilization right. and there is a traditional kind of an orientation and then there is a postmodern world, which is the workplace, which has obviously been built on Western formats and so on and so forth. And the fact is that while we wish to ape the West and follow a Western Correct. way of thinking, inherent in us is a, an Indianness hmm. in the way we act. Right. And if these two processes, Shubham, I argue in my book, are not in integrated, are not co-held, right. they can lead to ineffectiveness and fragmentation and create organizational and human waste. So just to conclude, I just wanted to say that uh, these universal core theories, as you talked about, might essentially be Fabulous seeds of thoughts mm -hmm. and good for interoperable and intercomparable uh, data points. Yeah. But they are not absolutes. Uh -huh. And we need to examine the soil in which these uh, seeds are planted to be able to fully understand its success. And that's the reason why, if that's not fully understood, yeah. uh, it, could, it could lead to a great problem. Wow. I, I really like uh, how you've you know, brought together the two things. And interestingly, 
with almost every guest that I've spoken on my podcast, we talk a lot about the Indianness because you know the context is so much different when we talk about our cultures, our systems, our structures. So I I understand and I I think there's a lot of value in what you said. So Steve, let's let's take a step back and probably look at what makes a good boss. Then you know, are the bosses in the West better or worse? Because we keep comparing with that. Hmm. So uh, you know, here we go back to uh, Shubham. The point you raised about core principles. There are fundamentally uh, certain leadership principles that have been articulated hmm. uh, in terms of uh, you know the literature that we have. And, um, you know, it talks about many elements. But I think fundamentally, if you look at the elements, they, they, they pertain to the intelligence, the IQ. Right. Managing people, which is the EQ. And managing the context, which is the strategic thinking. And I think what makes a good boss is when someone is able to move, depending on where he is, in terms of the maturity of the company and the maturity of his role, mm-hmm in terms of straddling as being an individual contributor to be able to manage teams, to be able to strategically lead the enterprise. Right. Because as Marshall said, what got you here won't get you there. So there's there's a need for a continuous movement in terms of refining the leadership tiered to the level that one is. Very true. So I can't speak about, I can't speak about the West in terms of you know, what's a, the, is the West better or worse? Yeah. But I did share with you a little while back about, you know, the fact about strangers and about robots and right. about these various services. That gives you an indication that what ails India is also ailing the world. Oh. And clearly, there's a guy called Juice, a G-U-S, who has confirmed that many of the universal theories mm-hmm. uh, actually are even failing and, and failing to be relevant right. to today's context. So in that sense, yeah. So if I were to come back to the question, what makes a good boss? Uh, Like I hinted earlier, a leader is one who is able to manage the two polarities, Hmm. the contradictions that is there. So for example, in India in particular, we are working in, uh, let me give an analogy, Shubham. Imagine you are watching a Shakespearean play in the NCPA theater in Mumbai. Right. The audience is Indian, the actors are Indian, the stage is Indian, and yet you're talking Shakespearean language. Yeah. Now, let me clarify. The context in which we work is a very Western background, uh, foreground. Uh, yet the actors are in the, in the background. Hmm. And therefore, there's always a simultaneous Indianness and a, and a foreground which is very Western. Hmm. And that those two elements need to be complemented. And let me give some flavor to this. Yeah. For example, during COVID times, do I fire people because that's what you need to do in a PNL, and which is result oriented and outcome driven, yeah. and which is rational? Or, or should I value loyalty and um, you know be sensitive and be human and be empathetic? And some of these you know polarities come and need to be reconciled. Hmm. Uh, do I put my boot on your neck to to drive performance, or do I? Uh, be diplomatic. So these are some of the kinds of value systems that come at odds with each other and need to be integrated. In India in particular, some of the models of leadership like charismatic, Uh in my own experience, I have found them to be actually that of a narcissistic leader. Hmm. The laissez-faire leader, for instance, is almost like an absentee landlord. (laughs) And uh, I I would dare say, Shubham, that uh, in India, the studies are showing that 
JBP Sinha's model of what is called the nurture and task model leader, where he's is is what seems to be working well in India. Yeah, yeah, and that comes from the fact that uh, it, this is almost aligned to the model of the karta. The karta being the eldest member in our family, who is supposed who is strict, hmm. disciplinarian, has values at the same time is protective, caring, nurturing, etc. Yeah. So we need to. So we in India look for a leader who is like the karta hmm. and. he has both the adhikar and the anurag and there's a samtulan wow. and if he ends up with too much of adhikar then we start saying he's too harsh and he's a dictator right. if he's too soft we start ending up thinking that he's a union leader and he's too soft and then sibling rivalries may come through but the karta model that allows for the power distance seems to be contextually relevant for india so yeah what i'm trying to say shubham is that when you talk about good leaders or bad leaders you ought to be looking at leadership in terms of the context so the seed in terms of the soil, soil rather yeah. than just take the seed as an absolute mm-hmm. i'll just conclude by saying that uh, with the current covid that is a, that ails all of us globally yeah some of the leaders traits that are coming up in the fore are things like empathy sensitivity humility right and the indian wisdom of shublab sangatan sukha yeah. the world is one family has timeless wisdom shubham hmm. uh, for where uh, leadership ought to be going and therefore india has much to offer the world right. in terms of model wonderful i mean two things one that you know i i love how you've connected the indian wisdom the age old indian wisdom to the modern world and how you presented with analogies is beautiful the second is the what i could you know probably derive from the analogy of the theater that you shared and i could really relate to that experience when i while i was there you know as an audience watching a shakespeare play i think then the indians are doing much better you know we as people locally just trying to analyze them from a very local lens we're not looking at what is exactly happening we're just uh, looking at stories but we're not really looking at what is happening uh, uh, outside and probably we're much ahead because given the western context or the western foreground we're still doing great as indians Yes and no. Like I said, there is enough of data to uh, for some Indian leaders who have earned a fierce reputation. Yeah. And no, also because there is much uh, to be done for Indian leaders uh, to be truly global thinking and acting Indian. Right. Right. So, what is what is different about the Indian boss then? You know, can you can you probably give a few examples from your own experience? We've been a CHRO with DRGO India and many other stints. If you were to share some experiences. Okay so earlier i had said that a boss uh, needs to go through iq eq and be strategically relevant so these are some of the basics mm-hmm. but i think what makes the uh, indian boss distinctive in brackets not unique mm-hmm. is that um, uh, he is really like uh, you know a bay rupya a man of many forms yeah he's like a like an indian thali he's like a garam masala mm-hmm. he's like a quiver full of arrows If you take the Jain concept of anikavada, which is multi-sided, yeah. that's what the Indian leader is. He brings together the traditional dance of Shiva, the Tandam, mm-hmm. and he also brings together the post-modern world, which is the modern kaleidoscope. So you know this guy, uh, A. R. Ramanujan, mm-hmm. when he explored the whole notion of Indianness, he found that Indians yeah. 
are very context sensitive they are not context free okay so in the in the western world you will hear things like a rule is a rule is a rule and everything has to be equal for everyone right in india we believe in equitability not all five children are treated the same one is given milk while studying one is given a bat to play cricket yeah because equitability is considered to be important that's why indians always say it all depends it all depends because we don't follow rules for its own sake we follow dharma hmm. the way of living and dharma is 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 india's word to the world it is it is a way of uh, looking at what station you are what kind of vocation you are at it has got kul dharma and it also has a way of uh, working during an emergency which is called the apadharma now we mahatma gandhi famously said and also despite being a lawyer uh, rejecting the british uh, supremacy by saying that i follow the supreme dharma the supreme law over the law that you put over me right now but coming back to you know like for example what is the indian boss first of all you know shubham i don't believe that man is a noun like you study in college you know he's introverted and yeah. he is a thinker thinker he's judgmental man is not a noun man is a verb he's constantly with his atmic being constantly refining that and in the process of unfolding which is the becoming uh-huh. and this being and becoming is a continuous dynamic situation of flow so if i use an analogy i love using analogies let me take the story of uh, the ganges now imagine if the water personifies the human spirit mm-hmm. then coming from gangotri the water will be very fast and rapid depending on the slope yeah uh, at rishikesh because the banks widen the water will also widen itself correct then the water starts to meet some rocks and becomes a rapid mm-hmm. suddenly it will plummet and become a waterfall so what i'm trying to say is the human spirit is contextual i can be you know a very passive and and fun loving and peaceful guy with my friends but if a robber comes to my house with arms at night yeah. to attack me and my spouse my by god i could be violent yeah so i'm contextual in other words the indian leader is this and that and more he's this and that and more and that's one of the reasons why if if you like yeah uh, i i have used a diamond model sure uh, which is he has got facets he has not got traits he's got facets and these facets show up depending on what the situation is and like any branding guy i've decided to call that those the diamond model d e s i l e a d e r they see leader okay. and d for example d for example stands for the first one i talk about karta for example directive right and nurturant directive and nurturant and i go on to explain these various uh, facets of the indian leader right in my book by giving examples uh, and talking about these various facets mm-hmm. that come up depending on the various situations i hope i've answered your question shubham yeah yeah quite in detail and i think i understand what you're saying i think that desi leader structure would really help so thank you okay so uh steve i think we you know during such podcasts or during an interview or during discussions we really look at some positive sides and what are the rights of uh, a particular aspect 
I want to look at some of the dark sides of Indian bosses, if you can share that. I know that's uh, <laughs> against uh, probably, you know, how you feel about it, but I still want to know if there are some dark sides to it. No, in fact, Shubham, I don't feel anything about it. In my book, I have said two things. I neither wish to condemn, mm -hmm. nor I wish to uh, e eologize okay. uh, the Indian leader. I simply wish to state what is happening. Great. I neither wish to condemn the West, nor do I wish to glorify the East. Okay. I simply wish to bring an in integration. Wow. Uh, there are obviously plenty of shadows and dark sides yeah. uh, of Indian bosses. So firstly, we are the world's oldest living civilization, 7,000 years. The Incas, the Mesopotamia, the Greek, the Romans, they've come and they've gone. But ours is the oldest living. So therefore, we have got a richness that has come from that years and years of antiquity. Right. However, that richness is not often practiced. There is a tremendous amount of duplicity in what we say and what we do. We talk about some people, you know, being fundamentalists in their thinking yeah. and, you know, getting into a... Yet, if there's a slight dent in our car uh, when, someone, when someone is playing cricket and uh, there's a dent, we, we start ourselves going into, right. a, into a rage. Look at our behavior in a road rage. So, yeah. we have a big difference between what we espouse as uh, funders versus how we actually practice them. Let me give you another example. This is a society that has reified women, Lakshmi, Durga, Saraswati, has, has taken them as goddesses. And yet, you and I both know yeah. the abuse and the rape and the violence and the, and the discrimination and the lack of access and opportunity that we give women in the society. So it's really double standards. Yeah. We talk about a lot about Shoblab and the world is one family and we talk about collectivism. But on closer examination, there is a fundamental uh, kind of a narrowing of the border of boundaries, which we call apna and the opposite of apna being paraya, in-group and out-groups. Right. So there is groupism, there is regional collectivism. A large part of India is actually uh, bordered around this closely defined apna and paraya, and it can be extendable, like a bubble uh, in a bowl. It can include just me and my family or my my community, or it could expand to if you're in Bangalore, the RCB team when we are playing the IPL, or maybe it can expand to the whole of India yeah. when we go to war with the warring nation. So it's a collapsible and yet an expansive kind of a bubble in that sense. Mm -hmm. And if I look at the dark side um, in a more of a template, I think you know the Indian leader is constantly oscillating between being in a world of wanting to be part of a tribe, being part of a group. Yeah. At the same time, wanting, feeling repressed with being in a, in a in a group, and wanting to break free, and you know, flex his muscle, and and therefore he's constantly hmm. uh, like a loose cannon when he's on his own. So there is this constant pendulum yeah. where he swings from being dutiful to sometimes being uh, absolutely fancy free and impetuous. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I I relate to it. Yeah. And I think finally, from historical perspective, mm -hmm. the fact is, and I've talked about it in the book, uh, there is a deep-seated 
inferiority right that we have bought into uh, amplified and continues to stay with us that has come from the colonial rule ah right in fact you know uh, steve my next question was related to what you said at the last that uh, we might have an inferiority complex or something like that uh, i want to ask you what happens when an indian boss steps out and starts functioning in the west and i'm sure you've seen it across your career what's what's your take on that mm. you know there is some data that uh, we in india uh, liberally put up on facebook and linkedin celebrating the indian origin leaders who have made it in snp 500 right and um, we therefore feel that they do fabulously well when they are outside the country yeah uh, i want to just share with you shubham some statistics that will broaden this 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 conversation sure for example indians make up less less than 1% of the population but have a median income of over 100000 us dollars which is significantly higher compared to all other immigrants of other nations okay okay so then we have to ask this question does therefore uh, being in a foreign soil uh, ensure success that's doubtful because china again would have had the same success and we yeah. too would have had other success in sports music research etc so that's not true what's true is that 77% of all indian american adults mm-hmm. have a minimum college degree and compare this with uh, shubham 29% of all immigrants and 31% of native born americans who are graduates so we are disproportionately more advantaged wow yeah than others plus indians are firstly double distillates they are mostly perhaps engineers right then mbas yeah come from affluent backgrounds and then they go through a very arduous h1b visa route <laughs> uh, and therefore in that sense they are now triple distillates right uh, and they skip what i would call as in in inverted commas the ghetto stage okay that's common for most immigrants yeah uh, so they are almost literally shubham stepping onto an escalator right you know there was an mit study that that asked the question how come east asians are not doing as well and they found that uh, unlike indians the east asians suffer from what they called was a bamboo feeling that is that they are less assertive uh, unlike the indians who are quite assertive okay so if you then put everything into perspective shubham when you look at fortune 500 then there are just about 18 or 19 ceos who are indian and indian origin which comes to about say 3% and i hope that gives you a perspective about you know the ones who made it right but i but i would like to apart from the fact that i talked about the nature of this triple distillate yeah i want to come to some other characteristics which are very um, you know uh, dominant for indians uh, like you and me we've always had to face adversity mm-hmm. coming from middle class families not having enough for everyone there was always almost every day there was some hardship some bus to catch or some classes to attend or um, so there's always uh, not enough of a paucity of yeah and as a result you know shubham for you and for me we've always had to do social hacks uh, which we call jugad correct and innovation to be able to manage uh, so one guy buys a book the other guy borrows it and you know manages to uh, do that right so i think fundamentally as indians 
we have learned how to be creative innovative yeah. we've seen adversity we we are self committed to our studies we need very little maintenance in that sense correct and when we become leaders i think we are also very much uh, in touch with the karta mm-hmm. in terms of being you know loving and caring and family based and if you look at many leaders uh, indra nui and um, others and so on hmm. they will give fa- fabulous examples of how they treat the organization as if it was a parivar as if it is a family and they take a lot of care on the people side of the business now i must tell you that indians in the core are very private and have a fixedity and a very core principle hmm. but in the office and in the workplace they are fairly flexible adaptive and they are great critical thinkers at work but they are also powerful team players yeah and this kind of combination is what makes them succeed wow great wonderful uh, thank you so much for describing that in so much detail i'm sure that's going to help a lot of people who going to listen so steve uh, this brings us to a different section a new section that we have introduced in the podcast mm-hmm. and uh, i must tell you you're the first one uh, whom we're starting this with so we're starting a rapid fire section wow and i'm going to ask you a couple of questions and you can quickly you know how a rapid fire works so yeah all right right so you're set absolutely get set go great okay so uh, steve to what extent do you match the image of an indian that you've portrayed in the book an indian boss so i clearly have the duality that exists for me uh-huh. i am acutely aware of my roman catholic western educated urban indian western background aping the west mm-hmm. uh, as one orientation you know brought up on lots of western literature and fiction that's one part of me right and i'm also acutely aware of my indian orientation and for me uh, at all points of time there is constantly the dharm sankata yeah that i have to deal with within myself great and what are your hopes from this book what would be the highest level of satisfaction for you um i want the reader to really think about the timeless and eternal wisdom of india i want them to feel proud mm-hmm. and i want them to uh, act in a manner that they can discover their own personal leadership within themselves wonderful and what gap are you trying to fill with this book or you know probably that you realized while you started writing the book i want to prove royard kipling wrong okay that east is east and west is west and the twain shall never meet okay i believe that uh, my book uh, can blend the harvard and the indian rishi mm-hmm. and create the rajeshri model of leadership wow a, a model that assures us the prosperity and the ecological balance right for the world that we are moving into wonderful great so i think you did really well or probably i did really well <laughs> at the rapid fire section <laughs> uh so there's one last question uh, which is common across all the episodes and uh, this is uh, so as you know we call the show secrets of storytellers i want to ask you one secret about the book or about you know the journey while you were writing the book that probably you've not shared on any platform until now 
Now, this might sound very fluffy, okay. but the fact is, when I was writing this book, I actually had a visitor. I call her inspiration. Okay. She was a cheerful spirit that hovered around me, looking for me to host her and welcome her. You know, she approached, knocked softly and waited and uh, announced the idea of the book, Chubham. Wow. She invited me to blow into the ember and to start a raging fire. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing when I started to join the dots. But as I did, she revealed herself each day more and more like a silhouette, gradually revealing herself even larger, bigger. To her, the creative angel, I owe my deepest gratitude because she stayed by my side. Mm -hmm. there, were, there are also Shubham Earth Angels, okay. two wonderful women, Manisha uh, and Neha, my commissioning editors, who believed in the message of the book, inspiring me to be bolder. Mm -hmm. I'm a first-time writer, so they pushed me, demanding a style that they knew they would expect. Mm -hmm. I have been very exasperated at times, but uh, they offered practical advice. And I must thank Nina, my, my editor, who edited my words, but not my voice. Wow. So I, I think the book formed itself almost like magic. It was like, you know, I was writing it, but there were voices within. And it sounds very spooky and very yeah. fluff, but that's the truth. That's the idea of this section. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a beautiful secret, I must tell you. Uh, it's a very deep uh, thing that you generally probably, I don't know if, if you know people are not really comfortable sharing. So that's the entire idea of this question. And thank you so much that you could go so deep to share that. Thank you, Shubham, for inviting me. I've really enjoyed this last half an hour with you. And thank you for your questions. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you. And I hope that the listeners enjoy the session as well as the book. It's out and people can go out and check it out. Thank you once again and thank you to all the listeners. Until the next secret and the next storyteller. This is Shubham signing off. Bye-bye.